Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 78 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I'm your host, Tino Romero Jr., a.k.a. The Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode was chosen by my wife. I was looking through some episode options or possibilities, and my wife asked me about this episode right here, and I said, yo, yeah, I can do that. So today's episode is going to be about the silent twins. Have you ever heard of them? Nope. (laughs) Well, me either until I started doing this episode. So episode 78 is the silent twins. Let's go ahead and get started. Who are the silent twins? June Gibbons and Jennifer Gibbons, born April 11th, 1963, were identical twins born in Yemen to Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons, who grew up in Wales. They became known as the Silent Twins since they only communicated with each other. So, I mean, normal little birth. I mean, they're, they're twins born just a few minutes apart. Not a big deal, right? Right. Let's continue. June and Jennifer were the daughters of Caribbean immigrants, Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons. The Gibbons family moved from Barbados to the United Kingdom in the early 1960s as part of the Windbrush generation. Gloria was a housewife and Aubrey worked as a technician for the Royal Air Force. The couple also had a daughter, Greta, born in 1957, and a son, David, born in 1959. So a family of four, not too bad. They relocated from Barbados out to the United Kingdom. All right, so, so far, so good. The family, soon reloc- the family soon relocated first to England and in 1974 to Haverford West, Wales. The twin sisters were inseparable and their language, a sped up Bahan Creole, made it difficult for people to understand them. Well, I mean, it's not when you have little kids, it's not it's not really unusual for them to have their own language. It, it, it's just something special that they have to where they're able to communicate with each other and, and talk freely, but still in, in privacy without having people looking at them like all sideways, like they're crazy. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not far fetched for something like that to happen. So the only children, the family's children were the only black children in the community. All of the children were often ostracized at school. This proved to be traumatic for the twins, eventually causing their school administrators to dis- to dismiss them early each day so they might avoid bullying. You know, fuck bullies. You know, as growing up in the 80s and 90s, we I grew up in, in an era, it was just like a lot of people, where bullying was one of those things that was a part of life. Now that I'm older, I realize that it's not a part of life. It's just a bunch of unhappy kids who want to be assholes to other kids and try to dominate them to make themselves feel better. Is that okay? Absolutely not. It is not okay. And bullies should all be just grabbed and smacked in the fucking face. You know, if you're having a problem with bullying, please reach out to an adult, a, a competent adult, and have to, and just try to get help. Now that I'm older, I realize how how much of an impact bullying has on 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 kids. You know, I didn't know that back then when I was a kid. When I was a kid myself, whenever we had a bully, we would just throw hands, and whoever won won. You know, more than likely, if the kid being bullied would beat the bully, then it would, everything would be fine. But if, if for some reason the bully beat the bull, the kid that was being bullied up, the victim. Then it would just get more and more relentless with it until eventually someone gets hit in the face with a fucking brick and then everything was fine and dandy. You know, I don't know. It just it seems to me that that the times of the 80s and 90s might be relevant today. And some kids just need to be hit in the face with a fucking brick. You know what I mean? No, I'm not telling kids to go hit their bullies in the face with a brick. That is not what I am saying. It also makes it more difficult to hit people in the face with bricks when when this cyber bullying shit is going on. 
you know, I never understood how how severe cyberbullying is. I mean, there's people losing their lives to cyberbullying. It's insane. Again, quick disclaimer, quick disclaimer, if you're suffering from mental health issues, depression, thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or harming others, please reach out to a suicide helpline and seek some help. It's better to speak with someone than no one. There's someone out there always willing to listen. Please reach out for help. Believe me when I tell you, your life and word are valuable to this world, okay? If nobody else has told you that today, I'm telling you that today. And if you don't believe me, just play this shit on loop and I'll, I'll mean it every single time. You mean somebody, something to this world, okay? And eventually you're going to find someone who deserves you. So don't, don't give up hope, all right? Let's continue. Their language became more and more ideocentric at this time. Soon it was unintelligible to others. Their language or ideoglossia qualified as an example of cryptophagia, exemplified by the twins' simultaneous, simultane, simultaneous <laughs> actions, which often mirrored each other. The twins became increasingly reserved and eventually spoke to no one except each other and their younger sister, Rose. Damn, they said, forget the brother. I'm not even going to talk to the brother. It's all about my, me and the sister. It's not unusual for twins to do that. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that that I was always that I've always been curious about with twins is is it legitimate to have that that fear not that fear but that feeling that emotional distant connection to where they're they're not close to you but they're far enough away or or they're they're away from you <laughs> obviously if they're not close to you. If they're far from you, can you still feel and their emotions and things that are happening to your twin? So the reason why I brought this up is when I was younger, back when I was, a, I, I believe I was an early teenager, I want to say it was about 13, 14 years old. We knew, knew a, we, we knew some, some two guys, but I, I want to say their name were Eduardo and Gustavo. Now don't quote me on the names because I don't know the names fully. However, these two individuals were twins and they used to hang out. They, they knew my, my aunt, La Blue Eyes, and they would hang out at our house, and, you know, just to hang out with all of us. My aunt lived with us at the time. So we would have birthday get-togethers, barbecues, and you know whatever it is to have a good time. Well, I remember on one occasion, the one of the twins, which I believe his name was Eduardo, he was there chilling, talking, laughing, hooting, hollering, having a great time, right? You know, sipping on some scissor, drinking a little brewski here and there. When all of a sudden he went completely quiet, like his facial mood changes, his 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 demeanor changes, and then he got real sullen, real worried. He looked. He looked like all of a sudden he was going through this this uh, this this crisis where nobody else was involved in it, and, and, and it, it was like he was going through it at that time. Well, my aunt asked him, you know, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? And this dude looked looked at all of us in the windows of our souls and said, "I feel a disturbance in the force." <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking. Don't don't believe me. I, di- I didn't really say that. So what he when, when when my aunt asked him what is wrong, he looked at all of us and said, and, and I mean I, I'm pretty verbatim on this. I'm not going to say quote me on this, but it's pretty de- goddamn close. Where there's something wrong with my brother. He's either hurt, sick, or he is going through something that's making him really sad. I can feel how sad he is. He's going through something, and I need to go help him. So here's my theory. Again, I was a young kid. And so when he told us this, I looked and in my head, in my own brain, I'm like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? But on the outside, I was thinking that this dude is completely nuts. There is something wrong with this guy. 
and he's weirding me out right now. And so with that, he put down his beer, walked, uh, walked away from, from us, and w- as he walked out the gate, he turned around and says, he's, there's something really bad. I can feel it in my bones. I can feel it in my heart. He's going through something. I will let you know. And, and he left. Now, my question for any of you twins, if, if there's twins listening to my podcast, if, if, send me an email at letting me know if that is an actual true occurrence. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. And just let me know if that's a real thing that goes that, hap- that happens between twins. You know, I don't know. I'm on the outside looking in, so I can't really comment on if it's true or not. So I don't want to miss, you know, misquote or miss say something and speak out the side of my neck like I usually do when that might that might be a very real occurrence. So just let me know. Let's continue. The girls continue to attend school, although they refuse to read or write. In 1974, a medic administering vaccinations at the school noted their impassive behavior and notified a child psychologist. The twins began seeing a succession of therapists who tried unsuccessfully to get them to communicate with others. They were sent to separate boarding schools in an attempt to break their isolation, but the pair became catatonic and entirely withdrawn when parted. So, number one, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm touching on a few of these, these topics, and then when I get done towards it, when it's time for the final wrap, I'm going to go back in and touch and kind of expand a little more on each certain topic. It took me different, like four or five different episodes, uh, websites to get the information that, that I, I wanted that's going to help better this, this, this episode, so... It, it, once once I get down and you say, yo, you repeated that. No, it, I know I repeated that, but I'm expanding it a little bit more. So well, number one, why was the medic administering vaccinations impassive on the behavior? You know, there's a lot of times where kids are are scared and just don't want to move. And so the, and they with that victim behavior, they become impassive and don't want to show certain emotions. Is there something wrong with them? Absolutely not. But then when you start sending them to different psychologists and psychiatrists or whatever the case may be, they, they don't want to open up because, number one, they don't know you. And number two, they feel like, yo, they're just going to make me more of a victim, and I don't want that anymore. So let's send them to separate boarding schools at an early age. That way, we completely fuck up their mental and destroy them as individuals instead of helping them. So it, it says right here that the pair became catatonic and entirely withdrawn. And with that catatonia, they were on hunger strikes. They would not eat at all making it even worse for the medical, for the mental health staff to try to get them to open up and come out of the shell and be quote, you know, normal kids. What the fuck is a normal kid anyway? You know what I mean? Anyway, let's keep going. So what made them unique? What made them silent? We've already touched a little bit on it, on what is actually happening, on what prompted their silence. But why did they get the name the Silent Twins? That's what I want to know. That's what you want to know. That's what the world wants to know, except for all the world that's already listened to uh, the, the, who watched the documentary. <laughs> At age 14, June and Jennifer's parents and teachers were concerned about the girls' development. They decided it, it'd be best to separate the twins to encourage socialization. However, this backfired dramatically as the twins became catatonic until they were reunited. After their reunion, the sisters returned to spending the bulk of their time alone together. Well, of course they're going to be it backfired. You're going to take away two young children for two years from the age of 12 to 14 when all they had with each other just crossed fingers, these two. You're going to take them away from their parents and you're going to try to make them to open up when there's, at that time, possibly nothing wrong with them. I don't understand why it would be okay. And I know for a fact that the, me being in mental health, because I've seen how mental health doctors 
and others in such high positions work. So I know very well that they convince the parent to separate them, although against the parent's will and, and better judgment. And what happened? You're going to send your children to catatonia. You're going to fuck them up even more off because they need to be socialized. And then now when, when, when they get reunited and it feels so good. Now they made it even worse knowing that, okay, look, whatever pact or whatever thing that was going on from where they, they refused to speak to other people. Now it just intensified confirming every fear they might have had regarding the issue for them to be afraid of the world. It doesn't make sense to me, but again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't I can't really comment fully on that. While June and Jennifer were born only 10 minutes apart, this did not stop Jennifer from viewing June as the older sister, as the older, stronger sibling. Jennifer, by June's own assist, assessment, was very jealous of her. June even wrote in her diary that Jennifer had a murderous gleam in her eye and admitted that she and admitted that she feared her sister greatly. Perhaps at the fact that Perhaps the fact that the pair viewed Jennifer as the weaker twin led the, the, to the determination that Jennifer had to be the one to go. Oh, yeah, they had a, they had a death pack. They believed along the lines. Again, I'm, I'm touching in on, on, on certain points of the topic, and then I'm going to revisit it later on in, in the episode. They, somewhere along the lines, determined that the only way that they were going to be able to succeed and, quote, be normal to what the standards of medical facility teachers are expecting them to be is that one of them has to die. Which one has to die? Well, according to these two, Jennifer saying that she was the weaker one said, yo, I'm going to go ahead and take this out. That would take me out. That way, June, you can thrive and be everything you want to be. That's not a great idea. I don't agree with that. But, yo, I'm not them, so that's not, that's not going to work out for me. You know what I mean? It, it, it's insane that, that, that at such an early age, even at 16 years old, that in their mind, in, instead of being able to work through these, these issues together and thriving together, and still at the same time having an individualism or individuality, they decided that one the best way, and I don't mean to laugh, I really don't. The best way to do this is that one of them has to go in order for the other one to succeed. Now, my question is that, is there like some sort of supernatural power or issue or belief that's going on with them saying that if one dies, then the other one is gonna, is gonna inherit or absorb the energy from the twin that is passed. Is that an actual thing or am I reaching here? Let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, Graveyard Grumbler Podcast on Instagram, Podbean and Podchaser and good pods. Just leave me a note. Let me know if I'm if I'm way out left field or if I just lost my mind. The intense bond between June and Jennifer was not always a good one. In fact, the girls seemingly held a lot of disdain for one another and often wrote disturbing diary entries about their relationship. June once wrote that her sister was driving her insane and that she feared her greatly. Jennifer, on the other hand, expressed her own sentiments that seemed to have foreshadowed her ultimately, her untimely demise. Jennifer claimed they had become, quote, become fatal enemies in each other's eyes, end quote. She described June as her shadow, writing, without my shadow, would I die? Without my shadow, would I gain life? Be free or left to die? Jesus Christ. So Jennifer, who, who has volunteered herself as Tribune, who is going to go into the Hunger Games, has asked out, has written in her diary. Let's read this again, because that was actually pretty fucking creepy. So, 
So Jennifer wrote in her diary, without, okay, let's, let's read this again. Without my shadow, would I die? Without my shadow, would I gain life? Be free or left to die. This is coming from a 16, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid who try, who's already trying to figure out what is the best way I can break out and become an individual? There's no way if you are with that kind of, with, with, with being afraid of each other. Jennifer also writes that they have became, they have become fatal enemies in each other's eyes. Now, these two were supposed to be cross fingers. What happened? Boy, I tell you. But that's a creepy little diary entry, though. Would I gain life, be free, or left to die? Yeah. Come on now, you guys. After leaving school, the girls became increasingly violent and unpredictable. They began drinking heavily, using marijuana, and often lashed out at each other physically. The twins even attempted to kill one another. June once tried to drown Jennifer in a local river, and Jennifer tried to strangle June with a radio cord. Yeah, sibling rivalry rivalry at its finest. I mean, don't try to kill each other. But then when you grow and you have such a disdain for each other and you start blaming things that are happening on each other, what what's the next step? The next step obviously, I mean, I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to say it, but goddamn, you know, do they really believe that they that killing each other is actually going to help each other out? Maybe it's just an angry outburst since they didn't have a positive outlet to let out their true emotional feelings. Maybe, maybe we'll go with that. This type of behavior is ultimately what led to the pair being institutionalized. In October of 1981, June and Jennifer burned down a tractor store together and caused $200,000 worth of damage. They then, they then vandalized and attempted to burn down, burn down a local technical college. Just anarchy, huh? Anarchy and rage. Let's get out of here. But that's not unusual when you have troubled teams being forced into a system that they probably didn't have to be in the first place. You know what I mean? I just don't understand why you would force teens into or kids into such a system when they probably didn't need it. They just needed to be worked out and given time. You know, that brings an interesting story. Back when I was younger, I mean, not when I was, yeah, even even when I was younger, I, I never knew the emotional the, the emotional burden you can lay on your kids without being emotional available or open. I never knew that was a thing until just recently. And unfortunately, I'm playing catch up and try to repair bridges that I possibly might have burned because of my ignorance and, and lack of education regarding, regarding emotions. It's shitty, but damn, I'm trying. The girls were budding writers, but the topics they addressed in their novels were later considered unsettling. June drafted The Pepsi-Cola Addict, a novel about a boy who was sent to reform school after having an affair with a teacher. At his new school, he is subjected to unwanted sexual advances from a male guard. Jennifer wrote a novel titled Discomania that described the excess violence that took place at a disco bar. You know, I don't know if I would say unsettling. When you have such a realistic topic like a, a, a child being sent to boarding school for having an affair with his teacher and then later being subjected to, to violence from one of the, one of the, the staff members at this, at this school, I mean, let's look at reality. How many, how, many ki- how many teachers now have been accused of sexual assault and raping their child and sleeping with their, with their younger, with, with their students? The, the the count the number is ridiculous on how much how many uh, I mean and it's not even men men are in there too but it's mostly women women are the ones who are being real are are just getting popped left and right for having sex with 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 teenage boys 
Yes, they they are still predators. There's it doesn't make a difference, male or female. They are still predators. So unsettling when you write about the truth. Uh, I'd have to disagree with that. I mean, check out the books. The books are actually pretty cool. I read a few excerpts from it. I don't know how to find the entire book, but but I I actually found a few excerpts, and it's actually a pretty cool pretty cool book. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's unsettling when when it's actually pretty true. I mean, the, 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 the scenario is actually pretty true in now times. And we all know, well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me rephrase this or let me change what I'm going to say. A lot of us who grew up in the eighties and nineties know the, the, the amount of violence and sexual assault that had taken place in the disco era. In the '70s, there were there was there were so many oh, there were so many overdoses, there were so many rapes. It was ridiculous, and they just happened to have going to the disco. It's not a secret, so why write it unsettling when they have a vivid imagination and wrote about things that aren't far fetched? You know what I mean? So let's continue. Both teams fantasized about becoming famous for their literary works. In 1982, June had her novel published through a small press. When writer Marjorie Wallace visited the girls at Broadmoor for an interview, they had to be carried in by guards. Wallace claimed that the girls were carried in like a plank or like a coffin on the guards' shoulders. When they sat down, they cast their eyes to the floor, avoiding eye contact. It was only when Wallace asked about the girls' writing that that finally perked up, and when they finally perked up and talked. You know, when when you're when you're bringing in kids that are that are like a plank or like a coffin over each other's over another person's shoulders. My first guess would be whatever you're trying to do to make them better is not working to make them better. So maybe you should change the plan of attack and figure something else out so they're not a goddamn, they're not planking like a board. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense that what you're doing, you're continuing to do, even though it's not working. But we all, I mean, we, we understand, I don't know if everybody, but a lot of people understand that mental health treatment hasn't always been the best. I mean, hell, in the early days when mental health was, or when mental health treatment, so to speak, was discovered, they would, the, the, people would give, give these people lobotomies and shock them and give them copious amount of medications to try to make them, quote, normal and not be so, so out there and sick with whatever rage or whatever they used to call it back in the day. Not much has changed for mental health. I mean, yeah, we don't give people lobotomies. We still give people electrical current uh, therapy. It's called ECT. It's not intense. It's not as intense or as in, inhumanely barbaric like it was in the early times. But we really haven't. I really wish we can say I can say that we've advanced leaps and bounds. We we have in a way, but in the same time, we really haven't because we fully don't understand the mind of a human. So it's a shitty thing that mental health gets pushed off to the wayside, and it's it's kind of like a trial and error in trying to figure out how to get the individual stabilized and back to a, a, a high functioning. A uh, high functioning level. Wallace pursued the interview because the Gibbons, the Gibbons sister story intrigued her. Sent to the maximum security institution at such a young age, at such a young age, Wallace viewed the sentencing as alarming. It was like condemning young children to live with rapists and murders. Although June and Jennifer were initially withdrawn, they eventually developed a friendship with Wallace. 
For those of you who might not know, there are assaults that happen in mental health facilities. Regardless of the level of, of, of facility, it might be a voluntary, a voluntary, a volunteer. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, the, when you have a, a facility where people go in to stay, either voluntarily or against their will, there are assaults that occur. It happens against staff. It happens to patient to patient. In the very few occasions, it happens from staff to, to patients. It is not uncommon for, for patients to be assaulted. We, you know, I, I say we because I worked on, in a mental health facility for a lot of years, and I absolutely loved working in mental health. It was one of my, my most favorite jobs I've ever done in my entire life. However... We've tried to limit the assaults to zero. I mean, it's very it's very difficult since they are sharing common areas. You know, patients are sharing common areas. Patients are intermingling with one another. So it is difficult, but it is it is actually quite common for the assaults. So when you put a patient, when you put two individuals, two young children in there, in something where they are they are prey in in a predator's world. You're setting them up for savior and you're for failure, and you're setting them up for for to, to cause them even more damage than what they've already done or that they've already endured during their 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 life in school. You know what I mean? Boy, I tell you. In March of 1993, journalist Marjorie Wallace visited Broadmoor Hospital to interview the sisters who were about to be transferred to the Caswell Clinic, a lower security institution in Wales. While drinking tea, Jennifer calmly stated that she had decided to die so that June could live a normal life. So Jennifer has already decided that she is going to be the one to, to be, for her life to end or for her sister to thrive and become, quote, normal as everybody wants them to be. I'm not sure exactly how that determination came into fruitation. It doesn't really state on why she decided that. Rumor, or my, my suspicion is that since she saw herself or viewed herself as the weaker, more docile twin, that it was better if she would end her life and let the stronger, more outgoing one out of the two thrive and succeed. I don't know how accurate that is. That's just my suspicion and my hunch. On the way to the new institution, Jennifer slept throughout the trip with her eyes open. And by the time they reached the new clinic, she was unresponsive and later pronounced dead. She passed from inflammation of her heart, but no clear cause of the inflammation was found. Jennifer was otherwise in good health and had no drugs or alcohol in her system. See, that right there is a fuck up with the staff. The staff did not do their, their routine checkups like they're supposed to. And furthermore, to, to, to say more on that statement, mental health facilities, because of the medications that, that are given, they, they are frequently ordered EKGs to monitor the heart. There is also checkups that the doctor gives that the, that the psychiatrist goes in and does on the patients to make sure that there is no there is no severe side effects given that that are that are being there are the, the medications aren't having severe the patient isn't suffering from severe side effects from the medications that they are given so routine medical checkups are common on a medical on a mental health facility. So in order for, for the, an entire medical staff, an, an entire medical facility, especially the psychiatrists and nurses who are treating, to overlook and miss that there was an inflamed heart that later caused someone to pass is really difficult to, to, to understand how that slipped by. 
And when you have someone who's, sleep, quote, sleeping with their eyes open, you should go back there and check to see if she's okay. Chances are she's not sleeping. I mean, she's sleeping, but she's sleeping, sleeping forever. In my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, that all this was just a failure to, to, to do their job. They neglected the patient and, and the patient's safety. I, I, in my opinion, I believe that Jennifer's death could have been prevented. But then is there some supernatural bond or is there some weird paranormal uh, uh, deal with the devil where Jennifer had to go in order for them to for June to succeed. Now, with her death, does June absorb the energy of Jennifer, giving him giving her more energy and power? I don't know. That, that just sounds kind of bizarre. But let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail dot com. Graveyardgrumbler podcast on Instagram. Just let me know. Uh, after Jennifer passed, June opened up a. After Jennifer passed, June opened up about how the girls ended up alienating themselves by speaking in their own language. The girls spoke in a sped-up version of English accompanied by synchronized gestures. While this started out as a game, it went on for so long that both girls felt the secret language trapped and isolated them. June expressed this in one entry. She wrote, saying, quote, We are both holding each other back. There is a murderous gleam in her eye. Dear Lord, I am scared of her. She is not normal. She is having a nervous breakdown. Someone is driving her insane. It is me. Okay, that's creepy as fuck. Number one, okay. For someone to write, and let's let's reread it again. June wrote in a diary before Jennifer had passed. We are both holding each other back. There is a murderous gleam in her eye. Dear Lord, I am scared of her. She is not normal. She is having a nervous breakdown. Someone is driving her insane. It is me. That right there should have been cause for concern immediately. If, if not even for them not being able to socialize with other people, just the journal, the diary entries where they are driving each other insane and someone is holding them back, it is me. Boy, I tell you, that, that's some creepy writing, though. Wallace later commented that the girls' diaries revealed how their close relationship also made them feel possessed and tortured. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. Now, do you believe that because of everything that they, that they, that they went through, that they, in, they, they endured the, the quiet, the catatonia, the bizarre behavior? Now, some of the bizarre behavior that I'm talking about, I didn't really touch into that, was that when they were separated— when when they were at different boarding schools, the kids would do everything the same exact way. And that was proven by notes written by doctors, nursing, and other staff that that watched and 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 monitored their behavior. Uh, according to reports that they would eat the same amount of food, they wouldn't eat the same amount of food, they would eat the same exact food, they would drink the same amount of fluids, but they were in different facilities. Now, do you believe that that might have been a demon possession or some sort of other possession that caused them to be synchronized, even though they were they were further they they were they were uh, apart from each other? I don't know. I, 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 this is this is a weird one. By age eleven, the girls had begun walking in sync around town. When they walked down the street, their steps were perfectly matched. However, if anyone dared to look at them, they would freeze completely until the passerby looked away. 
See, I don't see that as anything other than if we don't move, we're not seen. That way, no one can beat us up and we're not going to be subjected to bullying. I think that was more in more than anything. Or the kids could have gotten together and realized, hey, let's mind, let, let's let's screw with everybody's mind and we're going to walk this way and act this way. But however, according to some reports, allegedly they never practiced being in sync. It was just something that that happened. When one would get up to go to the restroom, they would both would walk up and go and go to the restroom, walking the same, bouncing the same, same hand motions, same head motions, everything exactly the same. And allegedly it was never practiced. I don't know. June and Jennifer were teased mercilessly throughout elementary and middle school, which may have contributed to their growing sense of isolation. In the mostly white town of Haver Ford West, the twins were often mercilessly teased about their race. Their race. It got to be to the point where teachers allowed them to leave school five minutes early to avoid being harassed. That, that shouldn't be a thing. Why did instead of the, to the kid, the, the, the teachers letting them leave five minutes early, why not? Deal with the the kids. Smack a few kids in their mouth. Tell them to knock that shit off. You know? Yeah, okay, uh, well, you don't fight violence with violence, but sometimes you have to fight violence with violence. That's where I mentioned earlier that someone should get a brick to the face. That's just my opinion. At 16, Jennifer left the Eastgate Center for Special Education and June left St. David's Adolescence Unit. The sisters, the sisters were reunited after an almost two-year separation. When they returned home to their parents and siblings, they became even more reclusive, almost entirely limiting themselves to their shared bedroom for years. Their mother usually had to push mail under the door and leave food outside of their room. Well, of course they did. You just separated two twins who spent every waking day together and you, you, you separate them for a couple of years. Of course, when they come back, they're going to think the world is the enemy and they're going to isolate themselves to where they only feel protected with with each other where now they no longer have to worry about being praised of being victims and preyed upon i don't blame them and you can't really blame them for that kind of behavior when they have just gone through some some torturous horrendous shit during this time the teens focused on their writing the family reportedly hurting reportedly heard talking laughing or fighting on occasion however they rarely saw june or jennifer Sometimes the girls would pen comments or sometimes the girls would pen commands and leave the notes for their parents. I mean, you, you can't really you, you, you can't really blame too much on them not wanting to speak to their parents. I mean, I, I understand that the parents were trying to do what was best for them. But when they send them away, there's a sort of a resentment and hatred and betrayal that the kids are going to feel towards their parents. I don't blame them, although the parents might have felt that what they were doing was in their best interest. Not the kid, not, not the adults, but the children. However, I don't fully disagree with, with them be behaving in, in, in such a manner. Uh, so let's keep going. After, after Jennifer's passing, June wrote that she was hysterical with grief. She expressed her sorrow and loss, and loss through a poem, which she penned for her twin. Jennifer's headstone is engraved with the poem, quote, writing, We once were two, we two made one. We no more two, through life be one. Rest in peace. That's a pretty cool poem. But why did Jennifer have to die, though? Of an inflamed heart from an other, from otherwise healthy individual. That's conspiracy suspicion all right there back in the head. I think we would question that. I, I would look more into that if I were them. We were once two, 
we two made one, we no more two, through life be one, rest in peace. Damn, that, that's a pretty cool thing to have on their headstone. Although she shouldn't have died. Although an inquest later determined Jennifer passed from natural causes, many, including Wallace, still consider the surrounding circumstances as a mystery. Yeah, it was a mystery. But then again, what if, what if, what if the stress that they that they put on their bodies when they were locked up in the facility from not eating and going on hunger strikes and the catatonia and the failure to thrive is what actually put the stress on Jennifer's heart? I mean, that is that is a very big possibility. We, I mean, you can read uh, title. I mean, uh, reports all the time of people who are anorexic dying of heart complications from inflamed heart or whatever strained heart that they've had due to lack of nutrients and and not eating. Now, that is a realistic deal. But my question would be, why wasn't that caught by a doctor? Why weren't fluids or other things administered in her to help keep her fed, healthy, and 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 energized? Again, that was, in my opinion, a fail, a failure from the from the mental health facility staff. That, that's just that's just my opinion. So, what happens after one died? Obviously, Jennifer had passed away. So, what went on after Jennifer passed? With Jennifer's absence, June began to interact more normally with others. The clinic released her in 1994, and she was accepted back into her community. While she never became a very outgoing person, she was able to live a much more normal life as an independent woman. Wallace explained how June had to reconcile her terrible grief and the freedom that Jennifer had given her. Again, I don't know what, why that was needed, that one of them had to die in order for the other one to thrive. I, again, I don't know if it was some kind of suicide cult pack or if it was some sort of possession or mind, mind manipulation, or was it a legitimate mental health issue? It's really difficult. Again, mental health is really difficult to diagnose and get taken care of. That's what makes it so interesting. June reportedly visits her sister's grave every week, and she continues to take medication for what doctors believe to be schizophrenia. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of misdiagnoses in mental health as well, so schizophrenia medication might not be what she needs. You know, who knows? Again, I'm not a doctor. That's just my unprofessional opinion. Jennifer may have sacrificed her life so that June could fulfill her dreams and live more normally, yet none of June's dreams have really come to fruition. In an interview, June explained why she has let go of her former hopes and dreams, saying, quote, I don't see the point in writing books now. I can communicate by talking now, can't I? End quote. I mean, that makes sense when your only introduction and your only involvement in the world was through, uh, through writing because you, you have whatever fear, pact, promise, or whatever issue you had from not communicating with anyone else. When, you, when now you're communicating, what's the point of writing anymore? I mean, me personally, I love writing. I just don't have, I just can't find, not, not that I don't have, I just can't find the time and energy in a lot of times when I'm off of work. So it, it's really difficult to get stuff written down, but that's not, it's not about me. It's about you. Let's talk about you. You know, it's not about me. It's, it's really, it's really shitty that, that the, the, the main thing isn't, we can't point it out. That, that's the shitty thing. While June aspired to become a famous writer, a mother, and a wife, she now lives alone in a coastal town outside of London, works odd jobs around town, and rarely goes out. Well, yeah, she, she doesn't know how to, how to do much and live without her other half. The, the, I truly believe that the, the, the trauma that you've experienced as a, as a young child fully affects who you are as an adult. One of the things that absolutely drives me up the wall with, with, with um, nowadays technology 
is that people are making it normalizing being isolated and not talking to people. One of my biggest beliefs, and I and I'll say this until until my throat goes hoarse, but one of my biggest you can't it, it, you you in order to become a well-rounded individual, you must go out and speak with different social groups, different ethnicities. You just 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 in, in, interact with people of different cultures and walks of life. That is one of the most important thing to do to make yourself a more well-rounded individual. I saw thing. I saw something on the internet the other day that just drove me up the goddamn wall. I mean, it it, it aggravates the shit out of me. It, I mean, it pissed me off to to really bad high heavens, and I don't even believe in God. That's how much it 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 aggravated me. So I saw a, a, a meme that was posted, and it had someone uh, standing in front of the gas station or in front of the gas pump. And they were going to get fuel, obviously, because they needed fuel. And so when, when, when they inserted their card and they pulled it out, the, the prompt on the, on, the, on, the, on, on the gas pump read, see cashier. And then the individual who, was at the, who put the card in said, well, I guess I don't need gas. I don't need, I don't need gas that badly after all. Why? Because you have to go talk to someone and just go get something that's going to get taken care of. You might just have to scan your card on, on the main machine, which takes literally five minutes. You don't even have to say anything. You just smile and you, you, all you have to do is tell them, okay, you do have to say something. You have to let them know what pump number you're going to get fuel from. And I, what drives me up the wall is that people are normalizing and embracing this, uh, this isolated, this isolative behavior. I, I have no problem speaking to people from all walks of life, from it doesn't matter what your race, what, what, what anything, who you are, except the, the, the things that will make me become the rudest, meanest fucking asshole that you have ever met is if you are an abuser of any type, if you are a racist who openly and actively spews hate and, and harms people, and rapist and pedophiles. If you are any one of those groups and you try to talk with and you try to speak to me and you try to befriend me, just be ready to be just, just number one, probably hit in the fucking mouth and number two, insulted and talked shit to so badly that you're going to want to go hide away in a hole and bury yourself. I, I can't stand those type of people. Abusers, vile racist and pedophile and rapist. Now, the reason why I say racist is because I have come across people who don't like a certain group of, group of people, but they weren't hateful and vile about it. They just said, you know, I don't like them because this is what I was taught. Okay, well, obviously you were taught by an idiot, so you need to relearn this behavior. See, people who, who still are open and, and acknowledge that this is how I was raised are open to, to the possibility of being reprogrammed and directed to believing, yo, don't, don't base your judgment off of the skin color or the culture. Base your judgment on who they are as a person. In my opinion, the more people that, that you go interact with, if you, can, if you can accept people literally for who the fuck they are, you know how peaceful this world would be? But no, you have idiots who, who, Merco, and, and I hate you because you're American, and I hate you because of this. Man, shut the fuck up. Shut up. It's ridiculous. It, it's the dumbest thing I have ever come to know about in my entire life. But 
I guess that's what makes us such a ridiculous species, right? Right. So Graveyard Grumbler's final wrap, but this is kind of a final wrap, but not really the final wrap. Again, I, I went over some some more information as I was finishing up this episode in order to bring this episode to fruition. So in 1974, a medic named John Reese not, noticed the girl's strange behavior while administering while administering a yearly school-sanctioned health check. According to Reese, the twins, the twins were unusually non-reactive to being vaccinated. He described their behavior as doll-like and quickly alerted the school's headmaster. So, number one, John Reese is a, is a fucking dick, number one. The reason why I say that is because my middle child doesn't really react to getting, to getting uh, injections, okay? We have taken them to, to several doctor's appointments where they've needed boosters, they needed vaccines, they needed whatever they needed. And usually, majority of the time, they just stand, they just sit there and wait for the injection to be over. There's no crying, there's no kicking, there's no facial expression, there's nothing. They just sit there until the, until the, the injection has been completed. Is that a cause that my, there's something wrong with my child? No, my child is just like, yo, the less I move, the quicker this is done, let's get it over with. Why wasn't that the same assumption when it came to the twins? No, John Reese had to go stick his nose in someone else's behavior, in someone else's uh, business, and 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 probably screw these kids up worse than what they were, what they initially were. When the headmaster brushed him off, noting that the girls were not especially troubled, Reese notified a child psychologist, who immediately insisted that the girls be enrolled in therapy. However, despite seeing several psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, the girls remained a mystery and continued to refuse to speak to anyone. Well, of course, their entire world was completely messed up and they were talking to all these big, scary people about shit that is none of nobody else's business. One of the big things that children have to go through, and not for all cases, this is just, you know, again, everything is case by case. But one of the big cases or one of the big reasons that a lot of children are misdiagnosed and and wrongfully admitted into into uh, mental health facilities based on fear they're afraid to say anything and usually say what the what the doctors think that they want to hear and then they get they get wrongfully diagnosed and treated for something that they might not be suffering from yes that is a real possibility that their kids might just be scared of speaking to a bunch of random ass adults in a medical setting it's terrifying for kids to go have to go to speak to someone about personal issues in an area that's not familiar to them so in my opinion, that was the beginning of, the, of a complete screw-up from everybody that was involved in, the, in, our, in these two twins. But that's just my opinion. Unprofessional, of course. In February of 1977, a speech therapist and Treharn met with the two girls. While refusing to speak in Treharn's presence, the two consented to having their dialogues recorded if left alone. Again, I don't see anything bad. It's just they were timid and fearful and had a victim... Uh, a victim uh, mentality to themselves. Treharn had the sense that June wished to speak to her, but was being compelled not to do so by Jennifer. Treharn later said that Jennifer sat there with an expressionless gaze, but I felt her power. The thought entered my mind that June was possessed by her twin. Oh, for Jesus Christ's sakes. Whenever someone can't figure something out, automatically someone is possessed. There's a demon involved. And let's go ahead and get a new, an, an old priest and a new priest and a young priest. And let's cast the demons out of these individuals' bodies. Maybe, oh, maybe it's just something that you can't explain or figure out. And it's not a goddamn demon. 
So now let's go have a priest talk to these individuals about something that might not be an issue, and let's scare these kids even more, believing now that they are possessed. Some of the smartest people might also be the most uneducated people when they are stumped. They can't admit defeat, and so they start looking at pseudoscience that might explain what is going on. That the, the, the June was possessed by her twin. However, however, what if? Possession was really a, a, a thing. What if in this case, it was legitimately a possession that kept them acting the way that they acted? And so when the devil or when the demon finally got too, too much to bear for Jennifer, she died freeing them from the grasp and the grip of the demon that possessed him. I mean, it's not far-fetched. I know I just went on a rage, a rant that it is, but what, but it, it, what if it is not? That's what makes this, this topic so interesting. That's what makes the paranormal and everything so interesting is that you, no one knows for sure. But what if it was that, that there was a possession that kept him from thriving and becoming? Think about it. They had all the signs. They had catatonia. They had refusal to eat. They were very, they were tired and exhausted from being separated, meaning that the power grew weaker. But when they were together, the power might have been stronger, forcing them to isolate and not talk to anybody, giving up, giving up any indication that they are possessed, meaning that the, that the, the demon was able to feed off of them even more. Ooh. Ultimately, the decision was made to separate the silent twins and send the girls to, different, to, to, to two different boarding schools. The hope was that once they were on their own and able to develop a sense of self, the girls would break out of their shells and begin to communicate and begin to communicate with the wider world. It's not a, it's not a determination of the outside world to determine if that is the best outlook for the kids. In my opinion, I mean, I would have let nature take its course. As long as that they're eating, they're thriving, and they're not, and they're doing fairly decent in school, maybe this behavior could have been outgrown and kind of redirected as they got older. But no, instead, you're going to shove all the shit in their head and body, making them worse than what they, what they initially were, all because you had the best interest of making them, quote, normal kids. It was immediately clear that the experiment was a failure. Rather than branch out, June and Jennifer Gibbons withdrew entirely into themselves and became almost catatonic. At one point during the separation, it took two people to get June out of bed, after which she was simply propped against a wall, her body stiff and heavy as a corpse. So according to reports, when, when they were separated, they both were severely catatonic. Again, refused to eat, refused to do anything. I mean, according to reports, they barely even went to the restroom. Again, I mentioned it earlier, and I, I well, I think I did in my head. I did. They they did being in two different boarding schools. They they again they they ate the amount. They acted the same. They were catatonic at the same times. Everything was exactly the same, but they weren't near each other. When they were brought in together, everything else or everything went away, and they were they began to be normal, non-catatonic individuals. Huh. Upon being reunited, the twins hewed even more tightly to one another and became more withdrawn from the rest of the world. They no longer spoke to their parents except for communicating by writing letters. Of course, I mean, they, again, they are being victim. They, they are victims and being preyed upon, being thrown here and there, their world completely turned upside down. 
And over the years, the parents, the parents who, again, felt that they had their best interest at heart might have done more damage to them than what, than, than what the initial damage might have been. So now these two kids are, are resentful and hateful and weary of, of against the, the very people that are supposed to show them peace, protection, and love. The parents fairly, fa- failed to protect them, keeping them away from the, the, from the, the predators that that from different facilities you know what i mean so instead of the parents saying no how about you do everything from home they they gave their kids to they gave their kids up for several years in this mental health facility completely wrong completely against everything and because of that the kids ended up having resentment towards their parents graveyard grumbler's final final wrap let's let's wrap this episode up for me, I believe it was all a misunderstanding. I mean, I, in my opinion, I believe that these two twins could have could have succeeded and and been great members, great intelligent young kids, had they been worked with in their own home and trying to figure out the deep root instead of separating them and adding more trauma to an already traumatic childhood. And remember, these two these two kids were beaten and bullied by their peers while at school, and I'm sure they 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 endured and suffered. Uh, racial discrimination and being bullied from adults as well, from them being the only black family in that area. Again, racism is the most dumbest fucking thing that's ever, that could ever exist. I don't think that they should have gone to all these different facilities. Not at all. Not one bit, not a little bit, not even kind of a bit. Nothing should have been sent out to these kids. Everything should have been worked at home. I mean, they, they ended up screwing these kids up 10 times worse than they already were. And then one of them died because of neglect and, and failure to be properly medically examined. Boy, I tell you, this case was kind of weird. I mean, I, I didn't know what to think of this case. So when I started reading it, my mind was like, oh, shit, this is kind of jacked up. But the weird thing that blows my mind was that June started acting completely normal after Jen. Well, not completely normal, but she was being she was thriving and and communicating and being more of an individual and a, and a regular member of society. Once her twin Jennifer passed away, again the 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 death surrounding Jennifer is already questionable enough. So was she murdered? Was it suicide, or was it legitimately she wanted to die to rid the possession and the and and the gloom that 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 tortured both of them. No one knows. No one knows. Well, let's wrap that, this episode up. There's not much more that I can beat out of this, this episode. So let's go ahead and, uh, and do our, our announcements. So announcements, uh, Patreon is still up. Patreon is going to be in the show notes. If you're interested, $5 a month, one tier only. Price won't go up. Price won't go down. You get two stories a month. I'm actually working on more. I'm, I'm going to put out an episode in the Patreon. Not Not only because... With with my regular podcast, I already have a different range of aged individuals who listen to the show, and sometimes I feel like the content might be a little too much on my regular show. So if you're paying for for the podcast for the Patreon, you already know that it's just going. You know, I'm going to be able to be more more open and limitless in my podcast in in the Patreon in the Patreon episodes. So I am I am working on one that's going to be a little more uh, it's a little more wild than than, my, than the already wild shit that I put out. So if you're interested, check that out again. Uh, Patreon link is going to be in the show notes. Other than that, not much more to say. And I appreciate everyone's support uh, very very much from the bottom of my little black heart. Thank you for the for your support from around the world. I truly truly appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, and as always, good morning, good day, good night. Goodbye. We send away for a course.
It was called The Art of Conversation. So we got the course, paid for it, and, and done it. Done to talk to a family, of course. But it didn't work. It didn't work. So what was the what did the course tell you to do? It said uh, how to communicate to your family, how to communicate to people, and say the right words at the right time, how to be friendly, how to talk and say the right sentences, and speak at the right time, and what to say. Nice day, isn't it? Or nice weather, isn't it? But we didn't do it. We tried our best, but we couldn't do it. Too hard. We're stuck in a rut now, and that rut will continue for a long time. We can break the habit. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. Beautiful friend, 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 friend. Graveyard Grumbler Graveyard Podcast. Grumbler.